Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, where we discuss ministry, marketing, and leadership for good. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode you get to join me in conversation with some of the most interesting changemakers and groundbreakers from across Canada and beyond. Welcome back to the Changemakers Podcast. This is part two of my conversation with Compassion Canada's President and CEO, Allison Alley. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen. It's a great conversation. And remember to head over to our YouTube channel to watch. It's like being in the room with us. In this episode, Allison and I dive deep into her experiences of leadership and ministry and her heart for the next season as Compassion Canada's new president. We discuss the moment Allison first realized she was a leader, why Compassion Canada chose a fresh type of leader and her experience around succession, what it looks like to do ministry with family, and why it's important for her to do ministry with her husband and their two daughters, and not just as her job. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get back to my conversation with Allison Alley. Okay, so today we have the awesome gift of another conversation with Allison Alley. And it's not just because I'm too chatty, but because we really do have a lot to share and there's just so much to dive deep in. This is a special episode of Changemaker Podcast. Again, I know I told you that last time, but this is also very special because we're going to dive deep, not just into the work of compassion and Allison's role as CEO and president and all of those things, but like Allison's life and ministry as a leader. And I think that that is, is really important. And in talking with people on our team, they want to hear this stuff. Like our the next generation of leaders needs to hear this stuff. So I'm excited that Allison Alley, Compassion Canada's CEO and president, is joining us here today. I'm so grateful that you get to listen in and hear about this and, and hear about what it really, I mean, this is kind of like, this is the friend conversation. Like, what is it? Because I often ask people, how's your heart? What does it really feel like? What's going on right now? And so I feel like we're going to get to have that conversation without being too scary for Allison. But uh, yeah, super excited about this. So welcome, Allison. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Ellen. It's great to be here. Yeah. And you know, I... I get to know Allison in two ways. So I feel like I know her professionally as one of the most prepared people. When we would work on a project together, I would get a brief that was like 84 pages long and full of data and market analysis and research and things like that. It was the most prepared any ministry leader has ever been for a project, to be really honest ever. I remember you saying that yeah. at the time. Like, yeah. Whoa, this is a lot. It was great, but you were really prepared. Yeah. And number two, how fun you were to work with and how much I looked forward to our phone calls. Like I, I will say that's not always the case. And, but I looked forward to our phone calls um, because they were high energy and they were fun. And, and so I really appreciated just really enjoying working with you, not just because you're prepared, but because you're great to work with. And so, yeah, I don't know if you knew that. Thank you, Ellen. I really appreciate that. I hope that rings true. I hope that's other people's experience as well. Tell my kids that I'm fun. Okay. Cause <laughs> yeah. we're starting to enter the mom's not so cool stage. So I think I'm fun, but yeah. I think you're a fun mom. I mean, from one middle-aged mom to another, I think you're fun. I love, I'm not sure I've been called middle-aged before. This is now that defining moment in my life where I'm going, 
Okay, am I creeping into middle-aged? How fun is this? Well, I love it when someone is 65 and calls themselves middle-aged because I'm like, <laughs> you are going to live to 130? Is this where we're talking about? So, okay, here we we are. We're You're entering the stage. You're a little bit behind me. Uh-huh. But okay, and since we've gone there, yeah. let's keep going there. Okay. So one of the things that I think everyone wants to lead with is something that could also kind of diminish you as a leader, uh-huh. but would be like, so how does a young woman like you get to be the president and CEO of Compassion. Like, I'm sure that you've heard this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, did you get it? Did you get the job just because you're young and enthusiastic? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not, because that would mean our board is not very wise and discerning. No. Um, the, the short answer is that God made it abundantly clear to me and to the people that he entrusted with this decision, that he was calling me, had prepared me, had given uh, me a vision and a passion that we could trust him with mm. for the future. And, and that became so clear to my personal discerning community and to the larger discerning community that was involved in this, um, in this process. The medium answer yeah. is that uh, no, the the board was not looking to make a statement or to do something cool and young and fresh. Uh, they had a very specific list of characteristics, of experience, of skill set. They had a sense on what the future state would look like and mm. were looking for someone who would be aligned with that and, and have a vision. And they felt like they had found that in me and and that God had made that clear. So the right person can be any gender or <laughs> or age or stage. It's the right. It's being the right person. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Because you don't lead with this. Because there are two ways that this could have gone. You could have led with like, I'm a young female leader, the first female leader in Compassion Canada's history. Rah rah rah. This is my boat to sail. Or you know, you've been like, no, I'm just the person. So so. Okay. Yeah. Why? Why are you just the right person? Like, Why have you chosen that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I have always been Allison. Always. I've always been female. And at a very early age, I realized that I was an influencer and that God had entrusted me as a leader for plans and purposes I didn't fully understand yet. Um, In fact, I remember, so I was born and raised in a Christian home, relatively conservative Mennonite home. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your husband's Mennonite, is that right? Yep, yep. And we actually just went and had a meal at a Mennonite restaurant. Yes, we did. Viewers should know. (laughs) And uh, I went through this modest, rebellious state when I was in middle school. Modest, rebellious. Only a Christian kid would say that. (laughs) Package it so you don't need to ask questions what that looked like. But concerning enough that my parents said, you know, we're going to pluck you from this secular school environment that you're in, and we're going to put you in a Christian school, uh, which I felt like I was being sent away to an institution, you know, at the (laughs) time. And so I went to this Christian school and did what any rebellious kid would do, I think, and rebelled further. And the way that I did that, um, which still makes me smirk, is that I decided to not show up and then to fail the obligatory grade nine Bible class. (laughs) And and so I did that. And at the end of the year, the principal pulled me into his office and kind of recaptured the year that we had just gone through. And and I said, yeah, no, that's exactly right. And he said, it's funny, Allison, in your desire to rebel, 
What I saw is that you were able to influence and convince your peers to do likewise. Mm. And whether you know this or not, you are a leader. And leadership is a spiritual gift that is entrusted to you that you can either submit to the plans of the Lord and use for good, or you can use for ill. And he painted a picture of what one, one path could look like and what the other path could look like. And that to me was a marker in my life where number one, I recognized I have a gift of leadership. And number two, I had chosen at that point to use it for good. Mm -hmm. And I say all of that because I've always been Allison, a female, I've been a leader. And it wasn't until recently, so that played out in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. I was um, provided incredible opportunities at a ripe young age to lead. In my early 20s, I was the general manager of a fitness club and um, was leading people double my age, some of them triple my age, and then was responsible for launching, you know, new franchises in the area. And, you know, and gender just was irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I was mm -hmm. ripe. I was young. I was making mistakes all along the way. But these other seasoned entrepreneurs saw something in me yep. and invested in me both men, women, Christian, non-Christian in ministry at my church, in the marketplace. And it wasn't until I started at Compassion, and specifically I would say that I've been on this CEO track, mm -hmm. that I've come to realize I'm not just a female and Allison and a leader, I am now a woman in leadership, mm -hmm. to which there's thoughts and experiences and maybe expectations around that that I've never actually fully thought out and lived out um, in ways that other people probably have. Yeah. And I totally resonate with that because I'm the same way. Like I was a leader when I was six years old and yeah. like my husband jokes, he's like, have you ever not led? And I think the answer <laughs> is no. And it's just the way it is. And, and I didn't know until I think somebody told me that it was actually just a few years ago. I think that somebody told me that um, like, that I should feel really put upon because mm. I haven't been given the same opportunities as men in leadership. And I oh, thought, wow. really? Like, and in the church, it just hasn't been my experience. And yeah. I know it has been the experience of a lot of people. So I don't want to minimize that. Right. But at the same time, there's a, an incredible, it's an incredible gift. And so I think I want to speak into that, like that it's okay to not lead with being a female leader. Yeah. You can just be a leader and be who you are, like be who God created you to be. Is that fair to say? It, yeah, that's exactly it. And and it's funny, that was not an intentional choice of mine. That's just who I am and how I think. And the fact that to me, my focus um, and what drives me to lead is to release children from poverty in the mm. name of Jesus and to mm. mobilize Christ followers, to prioritize kids and the poor. And to the degree that I can do that in increasing measure and, you know, work alongside our staff to get really clear on what that vision is for the future. What are the goals to get us there? What are the strategies and the plans? Who are the partners we need? That's the stuff that drives me and the stuff that I'm most inclined and excited to talk about. This is God equipping the called. Like the call comes and it doesn't like, because we're created in the image of God, right? Yeah. So I think, I think we can put this question to rest because I, you know, I know others will want to lead with it, but, but at the same time, it's kind of an irrelevant question. 
And, and I think that it's important for listeners to hear that, like that God can use you regardless of your age, your gender, your affluence. Like you see this in the developing world and it really, you know, I, and so I think that this is an okay question to put to bed. Is that all right? Yeah. Like we can say, I want people to just live above that. Yeah. Like that's okay. You just be who God made you to be and do what he called you to do. Is that fair to say? That's, that's how I feel. And hopefully awesome. I can live that yeah. out in a faithful way. But and and so you and I have have a similar responsibility in this, in that we well, we have younger leaders following behind us, yeah. male and female. Yeah. Um, who are looking to see like, how do I do this thing? And what is my like what how do I do this? And how do I do what I care about? But we also have daughters. And so this is an area that I kind of want to dive deep into as well. So as a leader. I know you feel this way. I feel this way. My first place to lead is at home yeah, and in my neighborhood and in our community. That's my first place. But my first place is with my daughter. Yeah. And I want to tell you, like, I have bumbled a bit in trying to lead her to do ministry because, okay, there's a long story here, but I feel like um, we can forget that God is sufficient for us as the mom mm-hmm. and remember that he's sufficient for our kids. Yeah. And so we can... Um, miss showing the sufficiency of God to us personally, which is actually what is the most winsome to our kids, right? When they see that God is sufficient for my mom, he meets her needs, and this is what I, now I know he's real Oh, beautiful! Um, in a way. But I think we can forget that because we just want our kids to know everything about Jesus. And so, so I was in Dominican Republic. I know you have a good friend in Dominican Republic. We went yeah. on holidays there and I arranged a tour for my daughter to go to a school in the poorest area of Punta Cana. Um, because I wanted her to be exposed to what it looks like to go to school in a different context. Um, She was, (laughs) I look back now and I'm like, this is a very bumbling attempt. She was like four (laughs) years old, terrified. I'm impressed. But we did this. And I think, I mean, the reality is, and I say this because um, not only do we do ministry to our family and in our family, but with our family. And so what does that look like? I know for me, it means that I talk to my daughter about where I'm going and speaking and she comes and spends time at the office here and she has her own desk. And But what does it look like for you to do ministry with your family? Because your family looks different too, right? Your, yeah. your roles are a little bit different in your home and you travel a lot. So what does that look like in the context of family? Okay, that's so good. Such a great question. And um, the context I would lay before I answer that specifically is that uh, when I started in seminary, that would be you know about six years ago now, I was encouraged to develop a personal rule of life, mm. which is a discipline that says, you know, who is God calling me to be and what are the behaviors and priorities that I need to commit to to ensure that I'm being um, transformed in those areas and being used in those areas. And so I did that and uh, really called out four unique areas that I wanted to continue to prioritize Number one, being roots. Number two, relate. Number three, uh, restore. And number four, reach out. And so roots was all about the discipline of recognizing that I am empty as a leader if I am not deeply rooted in the person of Christ. And so uh, part of my rhythm as an individual is to get up pretty early in the morning. What time do you get up? (laughs) My alarm goes off at 4.30. I I snooze exactly two times and I'm out by 4.45 in the morning. 
and uh, which allows me time to just be still before the Lord and to quiet out my pretty significant internal dialogue and drive mm-hmm. that says do mm-hmm. and instead just be. Um, so that roots oh, that's place. That's so good. Yeah. How many people do you think in our age group get up at that early in the morning, 445, to do those things? Like we read about those Yeah. in books, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Incredible. I don't know what that says about, you know, I am... Maybe an I love it. Part. I love it. I think I think we can learn from that. I think we really can learn from that. Yeah. So, okay. So I that's feel like number, a bit yeah. of a grandma sometimes, though. You <laughs> no, know, but my, my rhythm is a little beyond me. But um, it's good. Yeah. It's so good. roots number yeah. one um, restores. You know, related to roots and saying what are the rhythms of rest and also recreation to just restore my soul and not get lost in the daily grind and the going and the mm. requirements and demands which plays out for me in different ways in daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, and, and quarterly rhythms of, of rest. Relate, this is getting closer to your answer, relate mm-hmm. is what are the relationships that God has entrusted me with that I need to prioritize and invest in, of which my husband, my family, our church community are significant relationships and reach out. And here's the point. I recognized at the time that the combination of joining a global mission organization, studying um, in seminary, international development, made it out there, over there, far away. And to our earlier conversation in the last podcast, God calls us to Jerusalem, our Mm -hmm. home context first. And I needed to ensure that these things didn't become theory Mm -hmm. for me, but were very much embedded in our daily and family's DNA and our daily going. So at the time, our family became quite involved in uh, various forms of outreach and living with other people who were different than us. We were engaged in the local homeless community in our church, in St. Catharines, in making meals and building relationships with them. We actually, part of our family story that I don't talk about too much um, uh, is that in our calling into ministry and what we felt like was a call out of the boat, the boat being security, satisfaction, self-sufficiency, God called us on a downward mobility journey Mm -hmm. where we sold our home and actually moved into um, a a townhouse in a context where there was variety of socioeconomic statuses and ethnicities and uh, pockets of need. I mean, it certainly wasn't extreme, Mm -hmm. but it was intentional Mm -hmm. and allowed us to build relationship with our neighbors who were different than us Mm -hmm. in really, um, I would learn now to say incarnational and and organic Mm -hmm. ways. And so that was just part of our rhythm and our commitments as a family. Uh, We've since relocated to London where the Compassion Office is. And we've only been there for about a year. And in that year, which we may talk about, was pretty significant transition and requirements of me and the family uh, that we didn't quite find what our new rhythm would be. But now, Mm -hmm. post-transition, post-MBA, we've settled into our community. We're now asking that question, what does this look like Mm -hmm. here and how do we Mm -hmm. get involved here? And This is is a really important conversation for, for you who are listening because I'll tell you, I started, I started in ministry in 1997, which now feels like I'm like that was like five years ago, right? It that's 23 years ago is when, or 22 and a half years ago is when I started in ministry, and um, I've seen a lot over there over those years, and you probably have seen a lot too. 
And one of the things that my husband and I have committed to is that we will not sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry. And that might sound really like high-minded, but I've seen it happen. And probably you have too, where the ministry gets prioritized first, and then church, and then family. And so 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 what are you doing to safeguard against that? Especially in this season. It's a you live a very full life. So how do you not sacrifice your family for this? Yeah. First of all, I think the short answer is I don't know yet how to do it, mm. but I'm committed to ensuring it doesn't happen mm-hmm. and to doing what I can to put the safeguards and the checks and balances in place, which number one is calling it out, calling out the risk and saying uh, it is real. Mm-hmm. I think community is a huge part of that. I'm realizing already that being a leader can be very isolating mm-hmm. and the 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 work of leadership, I actually heard um, a leader say once is to be a wall breaker is to continually be aware that people will put a wall between you and them, or you will do it, but to break that down Mm -hmm. to ensure that you have two-way relationship where you can be authentic and real and expressing your needs and your codependency. Mm -hmm. So having those relationships that can speak in and inviting it and allowing it that can go, this is getting out of balance, um, will be really critical. And I have some of those already, Mm -hmm. which is good. And, And certainly that was part of my conversation with the board as I moved Mm. into this role and saying, hey, my life is, you know, this is the season of life that I am in. And fortunately, what I believe that our organization needs in this season um, is presence. They need me to really be there and invest in them in ways that means I won't be traveling quite as much as, as one may expect. But yeah, I want to involve my family, care for them and figure out how, what I say to our staff is, how do we do the work of God without compromising the work of God in us, mm. both individually and collectively. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, I talked about how that plays out, but as a family, how do we do God's work without compromising the good work that he wants to do in us and through us as a family unit? And, you know, some people may say, okay, well, you know, because it, it passed my mind, like, do men have this conversation? Like, how do I not sacrifice my family? But the reality is, regardless of your gender, you should be having this conversation oh, yeah. and thinking about this because this isn't like a mom guilt thing. This is like a it God has entrusted the people that God has entrusted to me. I will steward. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I've been so encouraged by um, the community that God is building around me and some incredible, remarkable seasoned leaders, male leaders who are asking the same questions and either they're at a new part in their journey, new stage like I am, or have been around Mm -hmm. for a while and are saying, I did this wrong or here's what went well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just gleaning as much wisdom as I possibly can from those who are are trying to live this out as well. And you had a good example in Barry because one of the things that really impressed me at the succession gala was that his daughters had a video where they talked about how their dad was so, the one thing that stuck out to me and I thought I need to do this, which is very difficult in an age where our phones become our companions, not a tool, (laughs) um, is that they said when their dad was gone a lot, I think they said 13 years over the 36 he was Mm -hmm. gone for, but when he came home, he was home. Yeah. And that has so stuck with me. I'm a little, I'm a little guilty. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little guilty about this because we have had my daughter say, would somebody please put down their phone and talk to me? (laughs) 
Yes, that has happened in my house too. But I mean, it's, that's the reality is that it is more of a challenge yeah. to be present because yes, our phones are our companions, Yeah, which is a shame. But so, so how do we do that? Like practically, what do you do tonight when you get home to say, I'm going to be present with my family? First of all, let me just affirm what you said. Barry has been a great leader in that way, and he found ways to involve his kids and for them to care about the ministry, feel involved in the ministry, and uh, to make when dad was home really, really special. And they've got some really cool stories of how they did that and, and involved his kids. But yeah, he has been very good at turning work off and has encouraged me from the start. And this is where he would see it as somewhat generational where um, historically I have done my best work at home. So mm-hmm. I, um, you know, when we talk about deep work and the deep thinking time, I can do that at home. Whereas Barry would have said, I need to work in the office, right? There's some shifts there. And so there's increasingly blurred lines between work and home, which is largely technology driven mm-hmm. that requires us to make a choice and be disciplined in following through in that choice to say, I am turning this off. So I will tell you, I'm aware of what I need to do. I'm getting better. I'm a work in progress. But how it plays out in my household is my husband holds me accountable. (laughs) Oh, that's so hard, but good. uh, Right? He is, he's the one that helps me live out what I want to live out and what I plan to live out, which is turn the phone off. Mm -hmm. Specific tips and tricks is I I don't have notifications on my phone. Um, and Smart. I, yeah, so nothing dings. There's no sound on my phone, which actually can be annoying sometimes if I'm not always getting the notification. But I choose when I check my phone, it doesn't choose when it demands my attention. Um, and also, it's my love and care for our staff that actually helps me have good discipline, where if I'm working late, they're working late. If mm. I'm disrupting them, you know, they're being pulled away from their family. And I care about our staff so much and their desire to have strong, healthy work-life balance, that it's that conviction that helps me go, no, I need to uh, put this away and lead by example and guard and protect their time. Really good. That's really good. Um, Because I I feel that same way. I really do. I feel like people who have a life are happier people. Yeah. Oh my (laughs) goodness. Jesus needs more happy people to represent him and less cranky people. Is that fair to say? Oh my goodness. Doesn't he? Doesn't he? And so- Okay. And there are, again, a lot of ways that we could go about this. So I know that what you and Tommy have said is that this is a family call. Yeah. And that was the example that Barry and Sharon also left for you. Is that correct? A hundred percent. What does it mean to have a family call? Because we've seen the opposite. Yeah. Where a spouse is resentful of the other spouse's work. Yeah. So what does that look like in your family? Yeah. First of all, um, how it feels is that we are in this together and there is a deep affection for the work that um, I am uniquely responsible for and the unique work that Tommy does, which by the way, he's um, he's a creative. He's a storyteller, singer, songwriter, cinematographer. He's told compassion stories before, stories for other uh, nonprofit organizations. And um, the fact that we can dream and think and reflect and ask the question, you know, what can we do as a family and Mm -hmm. how can we uniquely and collectively contribute to the advancement of, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, justice and compassion across this country and around the world is a really, is a privilege to be able to talk about that and reflect on that together. 
I think that you just ex- explained that. It yeah. looks like that you're both committed to this. Yeah. And now here's the other part. And we talked about this a little bit in the car earlier. Um, so, you know, the ministry background that I come from, I owe a lot to it. It's incredible. But one of the things I've had to heal from yeah. is this idea that, and I think this is part of where families get sacrificed on the altar of ministry, Yeah, is that we do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And whatever it takes can be more than we are able to really give. Yeah. And so, so, and you've gone through a really challenging season at Compassion while you've transitioned, not because people are making like bad choices or anything like that, but you've had some really difficult things to wrestle through yeah. um, as a leader there. So the do whatever it takes could, especially because you're also doing your MBA. Yeah. You were. Yeah. You finished it now. Whew. You were doing your MBA, transitioning. And you had major crises yes. at Compassion. Yes. So how do you balance that in a season of like, do you, do you go to the do whatever it takes or mm-hmm. what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, yes, that year of transition, hopefully actually will go down as one of the most challenging, stretching, painful, yet encouraging and shaping years of my life. Uh, and as you said, there was crisis that was thrust upon us that we had to respond to. Not just one. No. Like over and over and over. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We had, you know, a tiny bit of context. We had uh, one executive have to leave the organization uh, with cancer. Another executive, her husband died of cancer. So she was off. Then she was diagnosed with cancer. A third executive, her husband uh, lost his life to suicide. Um, so three out of it's a lot, yeah, substantial and has ripple effects through the organization. I mean, the people who support you, yeah, organizationally, yeah. So, yeah, how do you still breathe yeah. in those times as a leader? So, what I would say is, God really impressed upon me both the reminder and then helped me live it out. Two truths: number one, not on my strength, but on His, and number two, not alone, but together. If I would have, and that can sound so mm-hmm. like, well, of course that's the right mm-hmm. thing to say, but it's no, hard like he, to do. Right, yeah. right. Where I recognize this thing is not dependent on my stamina and strength and intellect and availability and proximity because lo and behold, I don't have enough strength. Mm-hmm. I can't be available as much as people need me to be, but I need to continue to uphold my discipline of spending time with the Lord, depending on his strength, being in regular communion and prayer with him in my daily mm-hmm. going and reflecting in a way that he would be able to speak wisdom and truth and and navigate and lead me into that next step, next step that I needed to take. Mm-hmm. And that not alone, but together was the recognition, practically speaking, to Barry's credit, he led through community and collaboration mm-hmm. and having this beautiful team that uh, led and depended on each other, which is why when three were removed, it was highly disruptive. Mm-hmm. But again, it was, this is about the community of believers coming together and all of us taking a unique share in um, in leaning in and um, you know meeting needs and in guiding forward in ways that what actually happened, and I don't want to put an overly shiny veneer mm-hmm. on this, it was hard. It was, hard. It was hard. really hard. It was devastating. Um, 
but people not only stepped up, but were given the opportunity to be stretched and to learn and to grow. And I was given different vantage points Mm -hmm. as I was thrown into different roles to um, learn from our staff and to understand their world and to build new relationships in a way that I grew as a leader, our leadership team grew in their relationship with one another. Uh, Respect and trust was grown throughout the organization. And I would say throughout that year, we grew pretty significant convictions around what we wanted to be about as an organization, which is about the people. It's Christ ministry first, and then it's us together. We recognize the spiritual battle that we are Mm -hmm. in, which is significant and reinforced this togetherness um, Mm -hmm. in a season of transition that ended up being pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think it has resulted in a team that loves you. (laughs) And uh, because that's very, very obvious when you talk to your team, this is a team of people who genuinely love you. Mm -hmm. And, and that is a gift. That is a gift in leadership that like just going back to the beginning of our conversation, it isn't about you being young. It isn't about you being female. It isn't about you being the next greatest thing. It is about this team that does ministry alongside you with you and that there's a mutual love and respect on your team. Is that, I think that's fair to say. And what a gift. It is a privilege. It is an incredible privilege. God has called a great team of people to serve at Compassion with unique gifts and skills and passion and experience that, man, my opportunity is to listen to them and to learn from Mm -hmm. them and to love them and then to lead alongside them. And it is, I'm reminded one of the early conversations I had with the board in part because this calling into the CEO role was largely driven by the feedback and the thinking of those around me who said we're inclined to follow her, you know, for whatever reason, we're inclined to follow her. Um, You feel pressure to be someone then? No, because I was never looking for this job. (laughs) I was just being Allison who is passionate about the cause and loves people. Because you were, you were overseeing advocacy at the time that I met you. Yeah. And you were passionate about the cause. I think I remember texting you at an event and because we were working on a resource and we were talking about, it was called Eyes to See. I believe that's what it was. And we wanted to have some sort of a family to frame this. And I'm like, I remember texting you, it is you. So you, you've always been really passionate about this and people know that about you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And multiple times in my journey, that would be one when you said, you need to share your story. I've had to get over myself a Mm. few times and say, stop saying no, not me, someone else, and just uh, step into what God is calling you to when you're sure that it's him Mm -hmm. that's opening the door Mm -hmm. and sometimes Mm -hmm. for me, kicking me Mm -hmm. through it. But what I said to our board at the time is, I really had this duality of focus. Um, I read a book once called The Leadership Ellipse, and the ellipse is a geometrical shape that has two focal points that are interrelated, but neither one is more important than the other. And to me, I said, it's the mission. My, My passion for the mission is the one focal point and the people. And, you know, both on staff and outside of staff, our partners, our friends, our family members, that God is called to advance His purposes I love those people mm. and feel such a privilege to be their leader. Oh, that's so good. Now, okay, one of the things that I wonder, so <laughs> there, there are certain people yeah. that I meet them and I'm like, you have done so much. What have I been doing with my life? And 
And you could be one of those people for other people. I don't know if you know that. No, okay, I don't, I don't mean to that. scare you. I don't know that. that there could be another person in your kind of your agent stage that goes, yeah. what have I been doing with all my life? She's been doing all this stuff. But you are just you. And I think that that's really important. So I think it's important that people know the side of you that is intentionally fun as well. <laughs> so you, because one of the things, I was telling you that one of the things that sticks with me also is this video of you I guess you can do it. I was going to say trying to longboard, but that would be me. Come on, give me credit. I can. That you can longboard <laughs> and that you're actually very fun. Like, I don't know that people would know that about you. They do were, I come off as really like stiff and stale? No, not at all. But I think it's that people wouldn't wouldn't anticipate that someone with as much intentionality can mm. also be mm. real. Hmm. And so I think that, and that's what I appreciate about you is that Aww. you're both very intentional and very smart and wise and very kind and very fun. Aww. And so how do you stay? Cause that's tough when you're, you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders yeah. because you have a large organization that you're leading all these children around the world who are relying on your organization and their, their donors in Canada, you're responsible to donors, to a board, to your family. How do you stay fun? And uh, are you, yeah. you're probably just learning that too. This is new, right? Yeah, I so. may not. See, to the degree that I lose my funness, you call me out on that okay. as I move forward. Okay, Ellen. Um, I think it's all about the community of people around you that can keep you real and, and humble and that just know you as you. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you quite candidly, that is something that I am up against now where my community of friends and family and church in St. Catharines just knew me as Allison. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. I say that the schmuck Allison who loves to have yeah. fun and figure this thing out, you know, together. Whereas in my new context, I'm often now president and CEO first. Right. And I think I have a responsibility to ensure that I remain Allison Absolutely. uniquely from my title and my role. Mm -hmm. Allison, the Christ follower, the wife, the mom, the friend, the longboarder, mm -hmm. you know, who... Who has a great laugh <laughs> <laughs> and laughs easily. I love that about you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But it is, it's the, it's the people around me and... Um, as a child advocacy organization, we see a lot of pain, a lot mm. of trial. We cry a lot, but man, kids have so much joy and laughter and fun in ways that transcend language and economic status and culture that my goodness, if we lose the fun and childlikeness as an organization, and I would even say as Christ followers, Jesus said, unless you become like little children, mm. you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that childlikeness look like? I think part of it is lightheartedness, realness, mm -hmm. um, gentleness. Um, those are things I hope to continue mm -hmm. to live out. Oh, this is so good. And you know, one of the people that I have had the privilege of working with in the past was Max Lucado. Mm. And in Christian evangelical circles specifically, there are very few people like other than Billy Graham that are more well-known than Max Lucado. And one of the things I learned from him is that um, he travels with a childhood friend and his oh. childhood friend, Steve, is his um, his manager. Yeah. And I think there is an, an, an enormous nugget there that says, keep the people who know you really know you close. Yeah. Um, and he's accountable. And they, like, it's very hard to be a fake 
around the people who actually know you and your sense of humor. Is that fair to say? Oh my goodness, for sure. And so Ellen, I would extend an ongoing open invitation to call out the Allison that you know when needed, because you're right, it is. It's the relationships and the people that know Mm. you and ensuring that you are around those people Mm. and you do life with them. That is critical. And I think giving permission. So Mm -hmm. what you just did is something that people need to hear Mm -hmm. because it is okay to give people permission that you trust, people that you trust, permission to say, help me stay me, um, even as I grow closer to Jesus and more like him, because people liked Jesus unless they hated him. So they were kind of in two camps, right? So And that was okay. Mm -hmm. That was really okay. But I think that that's actually a really important principle of leadership is to invite trusted, Mm -hmm. a few trusted people into that relationship to say, hey, keep me myself. And I mean, we are both raising crazy cat ladies. That's part (laughs) of it that keeps us there. Our kids will keep us. I think one of the the blessings to me of being a leader, but having a seven-year-old is that she's ridiculous and awesome. And that we, and you know, I think one of the things I've had to discipline myself to is to sit on the floor with her and actually play with her, like to sit and and play or play a game with her. And I mean, that sounds really small, but it's a really big thing in all of the scope of what we've been talking about today. A hundred percent. I fully agree. So what game do your girls like to play? Or do they play games? Do they what do they play with? What do they do? Well, you know what's funny, right? Is someone said to me the other day, What do you guys watch on Netflix? It was a get to know you question. I was like, Netflix is so old. Now it's all about YouTube. Yeah. You know, this is what kids are doing. Um, uh, what game do my kids love to play? So one of them is very athletic. And so what she does is anything physical all the time. Okay. Um, with people who are older and stronger than her. That's Scarlett, my youngest. <laughs> My oldest is 10. Her name is Ireland and she is introverted, artistic, reflective. She plays piano, likes to draw. She's learning how to knit. And so they do very different things. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. This is really, really good. And I'm glad that we can be real and be leaders. Now I do. Okay. Just, we've got a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, because one of the things, how we've gotten to know each other is through marketing. Yes. So um, I think I know the answer to this. Are marketing and ministry incompatible? <laughs> they better not be. <laughs> they better not be. No, no. Because so, people like can look at ministry and marketing and be like, marketing is anathema. We talked a little bit about this earlier about that there can be, ministries often have communications departments, but not marketing departments because yeah. marketing seems like an evil word. Right. But is it? No. I mean, if marketing is all about... Um, it's funny. I'm telling the marketer what marketing is. This is a risk. But in in one school of thought, if marketing is about understanding um, who you're trying to reach, what you're reaching them for, like what is it that you want to reach them about or for, and how to effectively communicate that to uh, move them towards action, whatever that action is, my goodness, isn't that what we as the church and then Christian mm-hmm. ministries are all about? So yeah, I think we have really a lot to learn from the marketplace and from marketers Mm. in general as we think about advancing the mission that God Mm -hmm. has entrusted us with and our mission as parachurch organizations or uh, charities. We can do marketing for good. And we've done good marketing for good together. 
which I'm so grateful for. So, Allison, okay, I am is- so grateful to get to call you a friend, a peer, um, although that seems audacious. Like, I feel like that's a big thing for me to call myself your peer because you you're kidding? amazing. No, but I, I was thinking the same thing. You have taught compassion so much as one of our ministry partners and our friends and confidants that has informed our thinking on how do we reach people with the mission of compassion. So I've been so thankful for my relationship with you. Well, I am so grateful to get to champion you in this new season of leadership. And uh, and I'm so grateful for how God has equipped you and prepared you. And I know that he will continue to do that. And so if anyone wants to get engaged with the Ministry of Compassion, we're going to have notes um, below in the show notes. You can engage with compassion there. You can see Alice and Allie. And I'm going to I'm going to ask her if she'll post a video about longboarding. I think I that should. would be amazing because that's who she really is. Like if you want to know her, she is super smart, super amazing, and a good longboarder. And also I think it would be worth, I don't know if it's publicly available, but the video that Tommy prepared um, for the um, succession yeah. event, it would be so great. It is worth your time to watch that and to get the heart because there is no better person to ask about your real leadership than your spouse. I right? agree. They are your chief accountability partner. <laughs> for better or for worse. So my husband says that his job is to keep me humble. I love it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, just so grateful for you. Please connect with the Mission of Compassion. If you didn't hear part one of this and hear how Allison even landed up as the president and CEO of Compassion, go back and take a listen to that. And uh, yeah, so glad you joined us today. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, your marketing team for good. Graf Martin Communications is Canada's leading PR and marketing agency serving faith-based organizations from coast to coast. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more.